Hello, and welcome back to the room where 99 people don't believe in you. This is Tales from Mysteria Lane. I'm Billy Ray. And I'm feeling roundy tonight, Joel. Ugh, why would you say that? <laughs> why would you say that? And this is the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. In this episode, we're doing Season 5, Episode 12, Connect. Connect. Terrible title. I don't know how to say it. In this episode, I'm going to be doing the breakdown and Joel is going to do the trivia. Do you want anything to start us off with? I do, as per usual. So, the episode aired on January 11th, 2009. It was directed by Ken Whittingham and written by Mark Cherry. The on-screen credit for this episode originally omitted Marsha Cross and was added, obviously, later down the line for the DVD release. I'm guessing that the title comes from the lyrics from the song Everybody's Got the Right, the finale version, which is from Stephen Sondheim's musical Assassins, because I couldn't find anywhere that specifically told me, so I did have to delve in and sort of look up the lyrics. It's not on the trivia anymore. No, the, it's the not. We it's have to not. actually look them up ourselves. I know, what the hell? <laughs> People may also recognise Reggie in this episode. Did you recognise Reggie? Who's Reggie? Reggie was the big dude that yelled at Gabby's kids. Yeah, I did recognise Reggie, you, but you, I, I don't know what from. Okay, so Reggie is played by Gary Anthony Williams, and he does a lot of voice work in things such as Love, Death and Robots, Bob's Burgers, SpongeBob SquarePants, American Dad, Horizon Zero Dawn, and Rick and Morty. He was also in Malcolm in the Middle as Abe. Oh, yes. There you go. Which was a little bit of a gag for me at first, because once I saw that he was in Malcolm in the Middle, I then saw it. I was like, oh my God, it is him. But, yeah, because we just watched that. Yeah. Um. So Gary, the actor that plays Reggie, realised his love for acting when a computer error in high school accidentally signed him up for the drama class and he was too lazy to get out of it. Wow, that was fate and destiny calling. Right. <laughs> and he claims to be the largest vegetarian in California next to cows. <laughs> just goes to show, just because you're vegetarian or vegan, it doesn't mean you're going to be skinny. No, not at all. So that's all the trivia I have. Oh, brilliant. Well, previously, Lynette had problems when Porter ran away and Preston pretended to be him. Mike got with Catherine, much to Susan's dismay, but she seems okay with it now. And Dave wants to kill Mike because his wife and child are dead. <laughs> just... Just that's it. That's the reason. Well, Dave's wife and child are dead. So why should Mike live? <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. So we are going to start this episode by talking about Susan's story because it's the first one that I made notes about. And I have to say, whenever I think back to Desperate Housewives, I always remember Susan and Edie's storyline in this episode. It is a very memorable sort of moment for the two of them, I think. I think this is a very memorable episode. It's hilarious because, okay, so it starts with a conversation with all of the ladies where Susan says that she's moving away with Jackson, despite what happened in last week's episode with Lee. But I guess she just didn't take any of that advice on board. They're all excited for her except for Edie, who is clearly annoyed that Susan made this moment about her because Edie was talking about how she just had to get rid of Dave. Right? <laughs> like, I love how B started it off by talking about how all the all the women were together, you know, listening to Susan talk about Jackson, but actually all the women were together listening to Edie bitch about Dave, and then Susan swoops in and she's like, I'm moving in with Jackson, and takes Edie's thunder. The women were there for Edie originally, guys. Yeah, and she instantly... You can tell that she's annoyed about it. It's great. Of course she is, but she was making Dave sound mental. She was there like, oh, he's muttering, talking to a ghost of his wife. Lynette doesn't say anything. No, she doesn't. She does not. This is the opportunity for Lynette to be like, yeah, I know, I saw it. Whoever wrote this episode forgot, okay? <laughs> Pretty much. And then later that day, we get the inciting incident or whatever you'd call it in writing terms i can't remember susan goes over to edie and they instantly fall out because edie is pissed off with susan but then the door to the garage closes and locks itself so they're stuck together and thus the episode storyline begins 
I don't blame Edie for reacting this way. Like, this was her moment. This was her, in the words of Lagandra Ostranger, this was my moment. And Susan swooped in like Bianca Del Rio and just snatched it right out of her hands. So, yeah, it's quite a funny episode. Susan clearly doesn't want to be there because she's just on her knees screaming, please help. (laughs) But they're stuck with each other. And so we get an episode where they sort of annoy each other. They kind of bond a bit, get to know each other's backstory. It's kind of lovely, actually. It's a life lesson. It's time for life lessons with Edie, guys. Edie's giving people life lessons for free. And Susan finds herself the first willing candidate. Let's talk about some of the events that happen. So first of all, Susan's banging on about how she needs a man, and Edie writes out a timeline of events when Susan's been with people to see if she's ever been alone. Mm. Starting at the age of 14, by the way, this timeline starts, Susan's like, when was your first boyfriend? We all know someone that can't be alone, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We do, but she even judges, because she's like, oh, Susan, when was your first boyfriend? And she was like, oh, 14. And when did you break up at lunch? And when were you back together with another person? By the end of the day or whatever it was (laughs) after lunch um yeah we were we've all been like that okay we've all been like that at school when we're 14 years old we dump someone we get with someone else like that same day or the next day it happens at that age i mean i haven't but i know it does happen well it does happen shut up nobody cares (laughs) um it happens at that age okay lord knows that my collective dating history at school was questionable But you are gay. How did you have a dating history? I had tons of dating history at school. It was crazy. I had girlfriends left, right and centre. Mostly because those girls clearly probably knew I was gay and just knew they were safe with me. I had no interest in groping their boobs. So later on, we also get the bit where Susan calls Edie a tramp because Edie says that Susan can't be alone. And we have a clip. But that wasn't of your choosing. They dumped you. I know. It's hard to look in the mirror. Have you ever looked in your mirror, Edie? You're famous for the number of men you've conquered. (sighs) Thank you. It's not a compliment, you tramp. Okay, I am not going to take relationship tips from a woman who has hooked up with, what is it, over a thousand men? Okay, that's true, I enjoyed the 80s. But the difference is, I go after men because I want them. You go after them because you need them. That is not much of a distinction. Yes, it is. You have holes in your heart that can only be filled by a pair of trousers. I think this clip points out a bit of a fundamental flaw with the attitudes of people at the time. And it wasn't even that long ago. Well, you've got a hole in your heart that can only be filled by a pair of trousers. No, the compl- no Susan's point of view. Oh. oh, you sleep with people. You're such a tramp. Uh, it's not a compliment. Uh. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. God, we get this a lot, don't we? Yeah. I feel like it was just yesterday we were complaining about Mary Alice calling her a whore. Yeah, Edie does get the short stick when it comes to it. But at the same time, she herself admits that she enjoyed the 80s. Yeah, but she's saying that she enjoys the company of men because she wants it. Susan called her a tramp. Well, yeah. (laughs) But we could call you some mean things too, Susan. We could call you some mean things too. And Edie made a very good point. It's hard to look in the mirror, isn't it, Susan? (laughs) I reckon Edie really did enjoy the 80s. I reckon Edie was living her best life in the 80s. Edie is the one pointing out to Susan, you're the one with a problem here because you can't be alone. Mm. I mean, Edie does have her problems, but we're not talking about Edie right now. Edie does have her problems. So Susan says that she doesn't like how Edie treats men and she wouldn't swap places with her. And Edie says that she doesn't believe in the happy ending crap and tells the story of how men suck and her dad had an affair with her mum and ran off with all her toy horses. Her dad had an affair on her mum. That's what I meant. <laughs> it may not be what I said, but that's what I meant. Her dad had an affair with her mum. It was really crazy. <laughs> and then Susan thinks that this is a moment of Edie opening up and revealing why she is the way she is. Yeah, Which I is mean, very sweet. 
But Edie does not take it very sweetly. She's like, don't psychoanalyze me. Well, yeah, because it's not for Susan to psychoanalyze. Like, Edie's just giving her a little piece of her history. And Susan's like, really explains why you're such a skank. And she's just like, I'm not trying to tell you why I am the way I am. I'm trying to tell you that men suck and you need to learn to be alone. Right. Hilarious. But I'm glad Susan felt bad. Even Susan was like, all this time I've judged you. Yeah, you have, Susan. So you should feel bad. Yeah. But maybe this is a lesson for Susan not to judge people without knowing their story or maybe just a lesson in empathy or something. Yeah. But later on, a man comes over to check the mousetraps and sets them free. And the next day, Edie goes over to Dave to give him another chance and he moves back in with her and Susan calls Jackson to talk about moving, presumably to tell him that she isn't ready yet. Yeah, I mean, you didn't really mention that it got physical between Susan and Edie. Do you mean when she's throwing magazines at her as part of some weird game? No, I mean when Edie slaps Susan and Susan pushes her. Oh yeah, that was a bit overdramatic on Edie's part, wasn't it? The way that she just falls back into these boxes and she's like, ah! The fault was very dramatic, but also the throwing of the magazines at her was also hilarious. That was hilarious. That was a little fun little game for them to pass the time. I mean, the the end of this story was very... They both learned from each other. Mm. You know, Edie... Learn from Susan to open herself up a little bit more and maybe not get be so hard on Dave and to and maybe give not him a chance. Men like throwaway objects. Yeah. And Susan learned from Edie that she doesn't have to have a man in her life. Yeah, I think so. A, a story a story beat, something that she's been learning consistently, it seems. Yeah. Maybe one day she will learn this. Who can say? Well, she learns it at the end of this episode by breaking up with Jackson. I'm now gonna move on to talk about Bree's story, if you don't mind. Sure. Bree is helping the boys with their new house, and Orson seems extremely manly when he gets all excited about his brand new barbecue. And, oh dear, straight away, Alex and Bree are fighting. Men will honestly buy anything with the word master, grill master, thigh master, like anything. It's it's a brilliant marketing tool. Like, if you want to sell something, add the word master to it. Well, yeah, there's something about this particular type of audience that just really wants to be the alpha. Yeah. You know, the alpha grill. <laughs> But yeah, Alex and Bree are already fighting. Well, not fighting, but they're having an uncomfortable moment. He's telling her not to be so rude to Orson, and it it was so uncomfortable. I'm not sure how I feel about this. A part of me actually finds Alex quite rude in this moment. Like, I, I completely could, agree. I could not ever imagine talking to your mum about the way that she communicates to your dad. No, like I could never imagine that. That's so rude. He hasn't been around them long enough to know what their their vibe is. No, but like, even this if, is just how they talk. Even if I've been with you thirty years, it wouldn't be something that I would be comfortable talking about because I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs. I don't know the intricacies of the dynamics between your parents. Like, yeah. who knows? It and could, Alex it has could been around be like twice. It could be a way that your parents communicate that works for them. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. Why can't you just wait till you get home and talk about me behind my back like a normal person? Exactly. I really rubbed me the wrong way like maybe if alex had seen what an asshole orson is like, we've seen orson be an asshole like that time he forced Bree into making that food in the middle of the night and that time that he did a hit and run yeah yeah <laughs> like he will probably have no problem with the way that Bree communicated if he'd seen that side of orson and if i was andrew i would be having words with alex when we left there's not much that we like about alex so far no later that night though i think orson might have found it a bit of a chuckle-worthy moment because he kind of agrees with Alex in that moment when he's talking to Bree a bit later on at night. He he has his <laughs> Or at his least reasons. he says that. He's like, Alex wasn't entirely wrong. <laughs> no, and he backs it up with facts. Like, he cites it. He's like, your university professor. He's like, I'm citing it. Cite it. Cite it. Yeah, um, cite it right. Yeah. 
now available on iTunes. But I will say this is the most depressing opening of any Desperate Housewives scene, or any scene ever, actually, that I've witnessed in any show or movie. Why? Because it's, I'm feeling Randy tonight, let's make love. Well, we have 15 minutes before the news is on, why not? Oh, that moment. That is the most depressing thing I have ever seen. (laughs) What's more depressing than someone saying, I'm feeling Randy? Repressed straight conservatives are dull. Like, you're straight, okay, you get... You get the blessing of spontaneity and you are wasting it. I mean, there may be an awkward time once a month or so when you don't do that. But other than that, go ham. And at the speed they're removing the pillows off the bed. Again, me and B have this conversation all the time. You Americans that are listening right now, you pile shit onto your bed for no reason. Oh yeah, what were we watching the other night? Oh, Paranormal Activity. It was Paranormal Activity. <laughs> they went into the bedroom and they like took all the pillows and some the big blanket things and just threw them on the floor. And then they went to bed. Why, why have you got so much stuff on your bed? If you don't use it, don't keep it on your bed, girl. You're not seven anymore with the teddies. <laughs> Get rid of them. So the speed that they took all of their pillows and stuff off the bed, they had no time for sex anyway because I would have missed the news. And then Orson's like, even though it's my turn, I'll let you be the one on top. And I'm like, this is so boring. This is so cringe. This, their sex must be so boring and beige and just, ugh. God, I bet she wants to drink after that. I don't, yeah, I don't blame her. We then have the barbecue scene where Orson overcooks the steak and asks Brie how she feels about it. And Brie is just taking the moment to really egg on Aunt Alex a little bit. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the meat. Mm. <laughs> but she's just like, well, I wouldn't want to upset anyone. And, and then she looks, looks directly <laughs> at him. Girl. Oh, that sort of like bitchy look. And like that's what he came across as. I don't, I yeah, don't think yeah. Brie meant it intentionally as bitchy. I think that was her way of basically looking at Alex and being like, I've taken on board what you've said. Look at me, I'm not I'm not emasculating him, but actually it just came across as really horrid. <laughs> I think she knew what she was doing. And this causes them to have a little bit of a squabble, and Brie says that he should be grateful for her generosity. <sighs> and Alex declines the house. And the minute she said that, I was like, oh, Brie, come on. It's just, oh my God. You should be grateful for my generosity. You shouldn't ever question anything I ever do again. I bought you a house. This episode has some fantastic one-liners. Grilling is such a manly pastime. (laughs) (laughs) So Andrew doesn't really seem to be on Brie's side, saying that he can't really talk to Alex about it because he's not someone that she can control. It's not one of our kids. It's not one of our partners. He's just another human being. And the next day, Alex refuses the house again. Which is strong, I must admit. Yeah. I could never say no to a house. (laughs) Well, the the economy's even worse now. Right. But anyway, I think, yeah, Brie realises that she kind of needs to stop being so, let's say, selfish, impatient. Entitled. Entitled and somewhat rude sometimes. Yeah. These are her words, by the way. She's the one that says that she needs to stop being so selfish and patient and rude. It wasn't me. Yeah. And that she wants to change the way that she acts around people and says that, you know, we're going to we're gonna disagree about things and I finally realised the error of my ways. And so Alex gladly accepts the invite to criticise her and he takes the house keys. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, I think it was very mature of Brie. She'd be I like, okay, the people around me are not capable of actually saying to me, you're being this you're being that i need an outsider's perspective somebody from the outside that can sit there and say to me you've gone too far obviously brie is one of the main characters and so the central narrative of this storyline is on her and how she can change for the better and how her character can develop which is why it's all about how she needs to change her perception but i don't want us to forget that no one is telling alex to sort himself out as well that is true because alex you need to sort out the way that you 
act around people and react and the way that you talk to people. Yeah, because we've seen in the last couple of episodes, Alex is manipulative. He goes behind Andrew's back and does things that Andrew asks him not to do. Yeah. He doesn't officially agree big decisions about Andrew, but kind of makes it, puts Andrew in an uncomfortable position in saying no. It's kind of a case of he'll just make the decisions. Yeah. Maybe he thinks that because he's the doctor, he's making the money and Andrew's just... But then again, Andrew's a businessman making a lot of money too. He is making a lot of money. Maybe it's a doctor's ego thing. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know any doctors. I don't know what their egos are like. Right? Doctors? Guys? Do you have egos? I'm just basing it on TV shows that I've seen. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about Lynette's story. So Lynette finds out from an old man at the retirement home that Preston has been staying with Lynette's mum. Apparently, all of the old people are pissed because he's loud and he stays up all night watching TV. Yeah, pretty much. She gets to the home and it turns out that her mum is pissed off because Lynette put her in the home three years ago and only sees her reluctantly at Christmas. And, well, th- there's your story, guys. Yeah. This is the main problem of the story. In true Desperate Housewives fashion, they don't keep the fact that Porter is at Lynette's mum's place for very long. Like, Porter goes missing, we have an episode of like, where is he? And then we see he's with Lynette's mum, and yeah. then Lynette finds out that he's with Lynette's mum like, the next day. Through massive chance. Yeah, literally that is it. And why is nobody calling out this old man? Everybody is so rude in this episode. Alex is rude in this episode, Bree is rude in this episode, Susan's rude in this episode. This old man that's yelling at Parker to make him a sandwich. <laughs> that was so funny. Don't just stand there make me a sandwich i cannot wait until i get to that age where it's acceptable for me to just yell at kids to make me sandwiches and everyone just thinks i'm an adorable old man and don't you dare say anything no i was just gonna say they'll look at us and be like it's oh they're just being a sassy gay oh the gays so sassy oh look he's such a cute old gay (laughs) so a bit later lynette calls tom on the way home and she's really upset and we suddenly hear the brakes and a car crash then Porter gets to the hospital with Lynette's mum. I'm going to keep calling her that because I can't remember her name. Neither can I. Damn, okay. Um, but it turns out that it was all a ruse and there was two other cars that crashed in front of Lynette and she used that as a means to get them to the hospital. Fierce, absolutely fierce. And I was like, that's so vile, but you've got to do what you got to do otherwise you're going to lose your business. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, and the kid, they, he can end up going to jail. I just, I, Lynette, the mind... Sometimes uh, I can't understand how her brain computes so many clever things at once. At once. Literally all at once. Stella. That's the mum's name. Oh, okay. Stella. Stella. But then Um, some episodes, she's so dumb. But that's not one of these ones. At the end, Lynette visits her mum in the home and it turns out that she's angry because it's all she has left. All she has is anger. They're such a good little pair when they're in scenes together. Like, Lynette and Stella bounce off with, like, the actors bounce off of each other so well. I mean, I, I'm going to kind of fanboy over Felicity Huffman again. Yeah. I do that a lot. But Felicity Huffman bounces off of a lot of actors really well. And Stella Stella is another one of them. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. You know, Nora. Like, it always Kayla. makes always makes such a compelling scene with these two. Because they have the trauma and the angst between the two characters anyway. So you know it's, a bit, it's always awkward and it's always a little bit dramatic when they meet together. But when you add on the fact that they're two fantastic actors that do just bounce off of each other so naturally, it really is a compelling scene to watch. Yeah. So Stella says that she's angry because it's all that she has left. She can't even make friends because they'll just die five minutes later. (laughs) And so Lynette agrees to see her more and bring the kids as well and they make up. I completely understand where she's coming from as someone that is as an angry person as an angry old man (laughs) um as i I understand where she's coming from because i imagine that i will feel like that when i'm really old like i'm very aware that my like i am getting closer and closer to the end my time is coming up and 
I've done everything. I've I've lived my best years. I've done my best work. I've met the best people and my time is coming to an end and that will probably make me quite angry and upset. I guess we're not all going to go out of grace. No, we won't go out. Who's Grace? No, I didn't mean that. I've never gone out with Grace. <laughs> so they got Preston back. They did get or, Preston or back. Or Porter. They got the twin back that was gone. <laughs> they got the missing twin back. <laughs> However, we still haven't resolved the twin drama about one of them possibly going to prison. No, but Bob has spoken to the judge and they're fairly confident that the charges will get dropped, so... I guess we'll wait and see till next time. So Carlos is away for work and either the girls are stuck with Gabby or Gabby is stuck with the girls, but either way, no one's happy. <laughs> the girls are stuck with Gabby, who are yeah. we kidding? No one's having a good time. They seem to be having a bit... Well, they're having fun. I don't know what's going on here, but Juanita is particularly disobedient this episode having... and she's refusing to take a bath, leading Gabby to drag her across the carpet... Only to hurt her back while Nita just gets back to watching TV. <laughs> having fun. Having fun. This is attitude. And if I was Gabby, I'd be like, Juanita, you get your ass in a bath right now. I swear. That's the problem, though. Gabby is attitude but these girls are not afraid. No, they're not. And they're not afraid of so Gabby funny. at all because Gabby's raised them. These girls have just as much, if not more, attitude than Gabby. And they've seen Gabby. They're like, please, you're a mess, lady. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Uh, also, I would like to point out, Juanita, the movie you're watching is only Cinderella an average movie at best it's not an average movie come it on it is an average movie those old disney's are classic mm, no it's an average movie i love this next bit gabby does the whole you have until the count of three thing <laughs> and then what happens is the thing that i always get a bit nervous about when i see it because i'm like what happens if you get to three and nothing happens what are you gonna do yeah and that's what happens she gets to three and they're like can you guys hear me and they both go yeah <laughs> <laughs> they are breaking her down peace by piece okay kelly clarkson is in the other room piece by piece playing on the radio right now they are breaking her down these kids if they were mine i would not be standing for it i know so you have to the count of three that's one thing and then she does another thing another famous thing you wait till your dad gets home yeah and then she calls carlos <laughs> but carlos is like i'm in a meeting what do you want i can't do anything go away but they're listening i think does she call him on the home phone then because i thought she grabbed her mobile i think it was the landline it must have been because the girls waited till carlos hung up and then she's like i think he hung up mommy <laughs> yeah you can you can tech throwback right Landlines. can you get us a lemonade and then it gets really sad so gabby eventually asks why Juanita is being so difficult and how she does things whenever carlos tells her to do them and she says that's because i love daddy more oh and, <laughs> and if you pause it and watch it really slowly, you can pinpoint the exact moment her heart breaks. <laughs> yeah. Gabby does a walkout and she cries on the front steps. It's very sad. Kids say that shit all the time because they know it will, it will hurt. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've said that. I'm pretty sure I've said that to my mum as well. I still say it if I can't get my way. Yeah, I know. He says it to me all the time. <laughs> Luckily, she has her fairy god painter who comes along and tells her, you have to practice a scary voice. But he's not a painter. What is he? I don't know what he's doing, but Carlos confirms at the end of the episode that he was just walking past leaving a flyer. Which is false, because in the very beginning scene, when Carlos is hugging Juanita and Celia, he's in the background. Oh. So I don't know what he's doing here. Carlos says he was just leaving a flyer, but he has been in more than one scene in this episode. So, practice a scary voice, and she gets him to scare the kids into tidying up instead of actually following his own adv his advice. The Joe Frost of Desperate Housewives right here. You guys are in a crisis. I'm on my way. Mm. And then he closes his little laptop. And then he gets the black cab to drive him straight down. And then he's there like, pick up there. Pick up. Finish that broccoli now. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> Fucking Gabe. Gabe, is it? Gabe? Oh, God, what is it? Abe, Gabe. Abe. No, Abe's who he plays in. Malcolm in the Middle. Malcolm in the Abe. Middle. Yeah, that's it, Abe. Uh, Reggie in this. Oh, no, he's just Abe. Parenting. This is parenting. 
So Carlos gets home and he's a bit mad at Gabby for her methods, let's say. And she says that about what Juanita said and Carlos does rightfully point out, well, she said that to me when I would look after her and she wasn't getting her way. Come on, girl, grow up. It's it's understandable <laughs> that Carlos would be mad because you would be mad at me if you found out I'd done this. But he, he wouldn't be mad that I got someone to yell at our kids. He would be mad that I got someone to yell at our kids. And then I did what Gabby did, which is said, well, B was the one that sent him because he heard you weren't listening to me. And that's what he would be mad at. The fact that I've put the blame on B, so he looks like the bad one. Right? Don't do that to me. Let me be the cool dad. <laughs> it ends with Carlos basically saying that he won't discipline the kids because he doesn't spend much time with them anyway. And that is what Gabby wanted. I actually think it's unfair of Gabby to put responsibility of discipline onto Carlos. But it should go to both parents. No, it should go to both parents. But in this instance, she's getting upset because Carlos wasn't there to discipline the children because the children weren't listening to her. But that's because he was away working in a job that he didn't want because you wanted him to get it, knowing full well that he wouldn't be around the house. The disciplining and the the childcare and all of that stuff would fall to Gabby. She knew that was going to happen. I know, but I think we're taking this different ways because I very much saw it as him saying, I'm working all day. I am not going to make be the one that the kids don't like. Yeah, I guess. But, you know, either way works because Carlos is also a bit right. At the end of the day, they need to share it all, like I said. One thing that I think would drive me absolutely crazy as a parent is feeling isolated away from adults and just mm. stuck talking to my children about... Actually, I think I kinda love, I'd kind of love it. You would love it. I'd love it. It would be me that goes insane. Let's watch Peppa Pig again. <laughs> it would literally be me that goes insane. You'd be there like, oh, kids, kids, watch this. Is my favourite episode. This is the one where she, you know, laughs at that cow that can't whistle. <laughs> Peppa Pig. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we see a little backstory on Dave. He lost his wife and child and was sent to a psychiatric facility after having a mental breakdown. He didn't even get to see them before they died. When he arrived at the hospital, they were already gone. And that is really sad. Admittedly, Dave has had a tough go of it. That was a rough backstory. It was. And I give Dave kudos for the depth of his plan and the patience it took for him to get this far. When he got out, he met Edie in a hotel. They got married and moved to Wisteria Lane. And in the present day, Edie has kicked him out. So he is on his way to a motel. But Mike invites him to stay with him. Which is not a good idea on your part, Mike. But little do you know. I love how it all comes down to this. Like all of this hard work from Dave. And he could just end up smothering Mike with a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally come down to this. He's just been invited in. Dave's like a vampire. <laughs> He's like, oh, I've been invited into your house now, so now I can kill you. <laughs> can we talk about the bit of Catherine a bit later on when she comes over to see Mike and she instantly starts flirting with Dave again? Does she start flirting with Dave? I saw her flirting with Dave. Really? Why? They were just really flirting. I haven't wrote, written a note about what exactly she did, but... Oh, but it can't have been that great then. Oh, it, it was flirty. <laughs> Don't you remember the first time that she was flirty with him towards the start of the season? He was like installing a light bulb or something and she's like, oh, thanks. It's just so tricky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't remember the scene quite the same way you remember the scene, I don't think. I don't think she was flying with him at all. I just think she was basically saying like, oh, Mike loves his garden, so be careful. Okay, well, we saw it a different way. That's we, fine. I think That's we did fine. see it a different way. She asks Mike if she should move closer to Dylan, because that's a thing that could be happening. And it's clearly, and I say clearly, clearly as in 2020 vision, a case of Catherine asking Mike if he wants her to stay. And he's just like, oh, I don't know, you, you, it's your choice. <laughs> See, in this instance, Catherine, in my opinion, only has herself to blame. No, I agree. This is what happens when you ask a question expecting an answer. It's one you of... set yourself up for disappointment because inevitably you never get the answer you want. But this happens in shows a lot. It's, it's the whole thing of, yeah. I could move closer to my daughter, but there's someone that I like here. So 
if he wants to get serious, then maybe I'll stay because I think I could get serious about it. So mm. I'll ask him. And then they're just like, oh, that's the besides the knowings you got. Well, it comes out in a little bit that Mike doesn't want to be the one that keeps Catherine away from her daughter and grand, you know, coming grandchild. So he has his own thoughts behind it. Yeah, the way she yanks, I just want to mention the way she yanked that rose off his bush. Like, Miley Cyrus said, every rose has a thorn, girl. Be careful. Yeah, but Catherine's a powerful woman. She is. She's she's like the Agatha. It was Catherine all along. Am I allowed to say she's a dangerous girl, or is it just an needy thing now? No, that's not just an needy thing. Okay. It's an anyone thing. She's a dangerous girl. I'm a dangerous girl. Mm. She is. She is a very dangerous girl. She's fearless. That's what she is. She's not so dangerous. She's fearless. She's like, yeah, I'm going to fucking grab this rose. I'll grab this rose. He does admit to Dave a little bit later on that he is falling in love with Catherine. He uses the L word. Dave acts a bit sort of teenager about it. He's like, oh my God, did you just say the L word? Mm. <laughs> it's like, come on, we're not 14. <laughs> yeah, his face. He's like, <gasps> love. Oh my God. Ooh. <laughs> and... I think this starts the cogs turning in Dave's head a little bit. He's like, I just can't be open with her and tell her how I feel. Like, wah. <laughs> like, Ugh. But yeah, Dave is like, oh, you love her. Plan. I'm planning. I'm planning things in my head. Things are forming. Plans are, pl- plans are planning. Yeah. In the end, Mike does admit that he loves Catherine. Yeah. And it's yeah. the worst thing Dave has ever done. <laughs> Dave's killed multiple people, but this is the worst thing that's ever he's ever done. So the episode ends with Edie wanting to talk to the ladies on the lane about how Dave has moved back in with her, but no one is answering because they all have their own shit going on, frankly. It's kind of a nice ending because everyone's happy and they've learned a thing, but it's also kind of sad because for Edie, because no one is available when she has good news, only apparently when she has bad news. <laughs> I mean, it was just bad luck, I think, in this instance. I know, but it's also another thematic thing for Edie. No yeah. one's there for her. No one's there for her when she's got the good to share. They only want the gossip. That's the only reason they're there in the first instance at the beginning of the episode. The gossip. Yeah, I know that is just a case of in this one moment, everyone was already doing something. But, but no, I, I think thematically, it does. it is another thing of here's Edie on her own, separate from the ladies and what's going on. It fits her story, yeah. So that was the end of the episode. Let's move on to Joel's picks for gayest and straightest moments. So Joel, what have you got for gayest moment? So my award for gayest moment... I give it to Edie for the overdramatic telenovela fall. Oh, when Susan pushed her into the boxes. Yeah, and she's like, ah, ah, ah. Yeah, you, you don't backwards. expect it from Edie. No, not from Edie. Edie I expected like, that from Susan. Edie looks like a jump on your back and punch in the back of the head kind of girl. Yeah, like if you push... Edie looks like she's the kind of girl that's always ready for a confrontation. So if you push her, you won't catch her by surprise. She, she's, she's sturdy in the leg. She'll take that push and then she'll just punch you right back. Exactly. And then what do you have for straightest moment? <laughs> My award for straightest moment. <laughs> Goes to Orson for his obsession... First what? First what? The what? Goes to Orson for his obsession with the grill master. Yeah, that was... Yeah. And those corns that he made with the grill master. Do you remember those? Oh, and that corn. And that corn. It was gross. Yeah, it, it was vile. It wasn't great. And he was there like, oh, it, I bet this thing could even make soup. No, it couldn't make soup or some. Well, I mean, I guess it could, but it would be a really weird way to make soup. And you'd have to really clean out all of the coals. Yeah. Or you could put a metal container on top of it and cook the soup in that. 
Yeah, it, it can cook. It it can cook soup. It can't make soup. No, you have to make the soup. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it goes to awesome for his obsession with grilling meat because <laughs> grilling is such a manly pastime. So those are my awards. So bravo to Edie and Awesome. Bravo, and- bravo, fucking bravo. <laughs> bravo, bravo, fucking bravo. <laughs> So now moving on to B's awards for best and worst parent. B, who do you have for the best parent? Because I'm sure we all know who the worst is. So my award for... Best parent of the episode. You kind of put me on the spot because you said I, we all know who the worst is going to be. And now I'm like, is it obvious? Anyway, I gave the best parent to Gabby for getting her girls to tidy up by any means necessary. Because toys all over the floor are a safety hazard. And by the look on your face, I'm going to assume that you thought Gabby was going to be the worst. I mean, guys, listeners, hands up. Hands up right now. Get yourself exercising. Hands up if you felt that B was going to put Gabby as the worst parent of the episode. Okay, so it did did go the wrong way in your opinion then. Okay. (laughs) Okay, fine. Who do you have for the worst then? My award for... Worst parent of the episode. I gave... Why are you staring at me like that? I'm waiting to hear. I gave it to Lynette for making her mum and son think that she died in a car crash. So how is that not acceptable? But Gabby getting a stranger off the streets to get at her kids, acceptable. Like, you do what you do with Gabby. But with Lynette, it's like, no, that's awful. That's terrible. Well, did they tidy up? Huh? Did they tidy up their toys? Yes, they did tidy up their toys. There you go. So Carlos isn't going to walk home, step on Lego. No one's going to fall over a toy truck. Did Lynette get her son back? Um, yeah, by, then pretending, there we go. by she... pretending that she died in a car crash. Yeah, and Abby... Abby? Who the fuck's Abby? <laughs> Gabby got her kids to pick up the toys by getting a stranger to yell at them. Yeah, a very nice stranger. It was the fairy god painter. It could have been a very nice stranger, but it could have also just been a psychopath. But it wasn't, so it's but okay. It, but it could have been. It was. It's my segment, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying, you did it wrong. <laughs> so, so that was the end of the episode. Please join us... Um, no, no. <laughs> Don't join please, us next week. Please join us. <laughs> no, wait. No, no, no. Um, socials. If anyone has any questions, queries, comments and theories, where can they find us? Can you stop laughing? I'm trying to be professional. <laughs> it's the way you said, please join us and then stop. Like, please join us. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't you, can... <laughs> you did. <laughs> and if I keep mentioning it, one of these will make it into the final <laughs> edit. <laughs> please join us. Um, yeah. <laughs> You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review, and you can find us. You can Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. We've also got email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com. And you can find Louis at Dogcred Monk Design. And there's a link to his Etsy page where he does commissions. Yes. <laughs> Please join us next week. But we'll be doing season five, episode 13. The best that ever could, the best thing that ever could have happened. Is that actually the episode title? It is the episode title, yes. Yes, please join us next week, guys. Uh, See you then. Bye.